This morning, we are going to continue with our series about extravagant generosity. And as Pastor Bob mentioned last week, sometimes we get to this time of year and it's not the favorite sermon series for everybody who sits in the congregation and you think, you know, I really like those sermon series about Jesus. But extravagant generosity is about Jesus. Jesus, who came down to us from the earthly realms in the form of a baby, who gave himself to teaching us about kingdom living, and then who gave himself as a sacrifice to overcome death so we could have life everlasting. What is more extravagantly generous than that? And so today we're going to talk about Jesus, but we're going to talk about him in the context of what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Now you may not realize it, but the scripture that Pastor Bob just read is actually at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. We have a tendency to think that that sermon is the Beatitudes and that that's all that it is, but that's not really true. If you look in your Bible, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 through 7, are all the Sermon on the Mount, and in it, Jesus does much more than present us with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. There's much more there. Jesus teaches us how to pray with the Lord's Prayer. Jesus tells us the posture and attitude we should take when we fast or when we give to the needy. Jesus expands upon the law that was handed down to tell us that murdering is not only killing the body, but that murdering is also using angry words to kill another's spirit. Jesus teaches us the golden rule, and Jesus also offers four warnings about destruction if we make choices not to live according to his teaching. And our our text today from Matthew chapter 7, is known as the parable of the wise and foolish builders, but it begins with a warning from Jesus when he says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, hears and practices, and if we fail to do that, the house falls with a great crash. So the Sermon on the Mount ends with Jesus telling us that we are to follow what he says, not only hear what he says. And he, he emphasizes what this means by using a parable about house foundations. And I love that. I love when Jesus takes a little piece of my past, like house foundations, which I heard a lot about as the property appraiser, and suddenly they become part of a message. And I think, you know, God knows how to connect things that I never would have imagined had anything to do with ministry. And a little later on in this sermon, I'm going to talk about a thing that happens to house foundations called sinkholes. And I learned an awful lot about sinkholes when I was the property appraiser, and I never thought they would have anything to do with me being here with you. But they do, and we'll get to that a little bit later. So Jesus warns us if our house is built on a sandy foundation, when troubles come, that foundation will wash away and the house will crash. So for the Christian person, what does a sandy, infirm foundation look like? It's the kind of foundation that stands up just fine when life is good. 
It's demonstrated by going through the steps of our community religious ritual. We come to church on Sunday morning, we worship for an hour, we sing, we say hi to people, we're happy, and then we go home and we go about our daily living until next Sunday. Our neighbors know we leave on Sunday morning to go to church, so we must be a Christian. But sometimes we're going through the motions when we do that and thinking that our foundation is rock light and built upon Jesus, if that's the extent of our expression of faith, well, that's just a delusion. A firm foundation incorporates doing two things. Hearing Jesus' words and putting them into practice. That's the first sentence of the scripture Pastor Bob read earlier. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. We listen and then we do. We learn and then we act. Our Christ-likeness is not only coming to church, it's not only in our heads, it's not only in our prayer life. Jesus called us to be hands and feet. Hands do things. Feet walk places and find people. Our actions bear the fruit. The fruit of our ministry, the world, comes in the saying and the doing and the praying. Being like Jesus is not passive. And when we look on the Sermon on the Mount, we sometimes forget the parts or skip over the parts that talk about money really quickly. Pastor Bob mentioned that last week. But in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter, in chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, can be in one of two places. Treasures on earth that will be destroyed include our possessions, include our power. In the last month, I've watched half the possessions that Bruce and I owned, that we enjoyed in our home north of here, go out the door. They're not with me anymore. The power, albeit, you know, you can define it how you want, that I had when I worked in the courthouse in that important job, I don't have that anymore and it doesn't matter a bit. But being here with you matters. The relationship that I built with my husband didn't go out the door with the furniture. It's the things that we build here on earth, our good deeds, our relationships, that grow God's kingdom. My relationship with Bruce helped lead Bruce to Jesus. He died a baptized believer and was baptized at age 77. That's a lasting treasure, not the furniture that walked out the door. And that's true for all of us. We have to store up the treasures that matter. We have to make that choice. And John Wesley talked about that. Now, John Wesley, our founder, was an opinionated kind of guy. I didn't know him personally, but when I read his sermons, I know that I am listening to the words of a type A control freak personality 
who loved the Lord with all his heart and wasn't afraid to tell people what they needed to do. And he has this sermon that I don't like reading very often. It's called The Use of Money. And it's a long sermon. And I'm going to read a little bit of it for you. It summarizes the sermon as a whole because it really captures how he believed Christ was trying to teach us to see money. And this is what he had to say. And it, out of this sermon excerpt become three rules. By applying yourself with perpetual diligence and by using all the understanding that God has given you, gain all you can without harming yourself or your neighbor in soul or body. Gain all you can. He goes on to say, save all you can by cutting off every expense that only serves to indulge the foolish desires of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life. In your living and dying, waste nothing on sin or foolishness for yourself or for your children. And finally, he says, and finally, give all you can. Give to yourself, your household, the family of faith, and all humankind in such a way that you can render a good account of your stewardship when you can no longer be God's steward. Gain all you can flies in the face of everything that we're sometimes taught. We hear about people who go to great lengths not to earn anything or have anything, but if you think about it, what Wesley is teaching is that if we gain all we can through honest means, not by hurting other people, and not by hurting ourselves through workaholism, through dawn-to-dusk work where we ignore our families or neglect our relationships, if we gain all we can, then we are able to be stewards of that which we have gained. And when we save all we can, he doesn't say don't spend anything on yourself. He says spend on the necessaries, but not necessarily all the wants. And he points out in his sermon at great lengths that sometimes while we might deny ourselves, we go to great lengths to provide every wish and whim our children have. And when we do that, we're really not doing them a service or teaching them how to learn to be responsible stewards themselves. And John Wesley says if we do those two things, then we have lots left over so we can give all our, we can. And when we give all we can, it is for God's purpose that we give. He made a statement once, not in this sermon, but he made a statement once that if he died with more than 28 cents in his, in his checking account, whatever they had it, or in his possession back in those days, that he will have sinned and failed. Now, I don't advocate that necessarily, but that's how strongly he felt about that. You know, the, the little boy um, who gave his lunch to become the food that fed 5,000, he teaches us a lot of things. I went to John's gospel to look at that story because John's gospel is the one where the little boy is mentioned as the giver of the fishes and the loaves. And you know what it doesn't say in that gospel? It doesn't say that before he gave his lunch to the disciples to share, that he took one of the fishes and one of the loaves for himself to make sure that he'd be provided for. He trusted that he would get lunch. He shared without questioning. Now, I'm reading a little more into the story than is there, and I realize that, but the amazing thing happened. I believe that he gave with that spirit because you know what? Those few fishes and loaves fed 5,000 people plus all the women and all the children, which demonstrates the point that when we give generously, 
not putting ourselves first, that God takes our gifts and multiplies them immensely. And never is that more apparent to me than when I look at the ministries that we have here at St. Paul. Last week, Pastor Bob highlighted some of them with you. I'm going to continue to do that today and point out along the way some of the ways that God has multiplied the gifts this congregation has given, given in the past so that these ministries can be fruitful by a hundredfold today. The first is our open arms ministry. We feed 8,410 people at open arms. They come from over 3,000 families and they come and get food repeatedly during the year. Those families are provided for. But in the early days of open arms, you brought food in, canned goods, and donations to buy food, and we fed much fewer people. But because of your giving and your generosity and your good hearts, an organization called Feeding America saw the work that was being done here, and now we get food four or five days a week from Walmart, from Save-A-Lot, and from other grocery stores, and we now not only feed these 8,400 people, but we share food that have allowed food pantries to flourish at three other churches. God has taken your gifts and has multiplied them. On Sundays, a team from this church in the afternoon goes to downtown Clearwater. Last year, we prepared and served over 6,200 meals to homeless people living in Clearwater. The United Methodist Women, among other things, collects from you and from their programs and provided 125 ditty bags for migrant workers last year, and they also make an enormous contribution to the Thanksgiving food distribution that will take place tomorrow. We launched a new ministry called The Carpenter Shop, From Nothing. We have 300 toys made that will now be given to the city of Largo for policemen and firemen to hand them out to small children who face traumatic situations. But just as important, perhaps more important, 40% of the people working in that ministry are not affiliated with a church home, and every time that group meets to work on toys, they stop to pray, to share prayer needs, and for those who are not believers or those who are seekers to hear a little bit more about how Jesus has impacted the lives of the members of this church who participate in that ministry. Hurricanes hit Florida this year, not once, but several times, and this congregation pulled its resources and got together and prepared 98 flood buckets to be sent to people whose homes were severely damaged by the storms. We launched a new ministry this fall called Jumpstart, where middle school students from Largo Middle School who are struggling academically, many of whom come from impoverished homes, many of whom live with their grandparents or in single-family homes, come here and are tutored by high school students from our youth ministry and from the honors programs at Largo High School. They spend an hour doing homework with a wonderful role model. They have dinner, and then they play games. And I promise you, I promise you, we are affecting their lives because a week ago, one of the little girls who's here, who kind of came here with a chip on her shoulder, she didn't want to be here, looked at her tutor and said, oh, we're not going to get together during Christmas time. I'm not going to see you. 
These ministries that we're doing matter. We do the back-to-school jubilee. We provided supplies and backpacks to 425 children. We provided shoe vouchers to 402 children. And we provided dresses to 125 little girls that were sewn by the loving hands of women in this congregation. And if there's any men who did the sewing, sorry. I think it was just ladies. (laughs) What I loved about the Back to School Jubilee, though, there was one gift that really touched my heart. And that was the gift of 200 notebooks that were collected by the children in our summer camp ministry. They offered those notebooks to be part of the supplies that we gave out to other kids who had more needs than they had. In similar fashion, our vacation Bible school kids collected quarters in M&M containers to donate to the carpenter shop for toy making. You see, we drop a pebble in the pool and the ripples go out and out. So you've been hearing about this season of giving. You should have received in the mail a letter from Pastor Bob and a green card, which is your giving card. And we want you to know this morning that as we look at that budget, we, we want to attribute that budget into the, the pieces of our mission statement. Glorify God, grow in faith, and give in love. And we, got, we created this pie chart by looking at the budget and assigning the budget line items to which of those three sectors of our overall mission statement they applied. For example, those who work in presenting worship on Sunday morning, are there, the expenses of the things that they do are attributed to the glorify God, and so on. And you can see we're not quite at a third, a third, and a third. The dollar amounts are on there of what portion of the budget goes to each of these. Pastors Bob's time and my time are divided. My time leans heavily toward given love. Pastor Bob's time leans heavily toward the other two-thirds, but we did that with all the staff. And if you have questions about this chart, please feel free to ask. We'll be glad to answer your questions, and Arch will be glad to talk with you about it. But that summed up the $1.6 million budget that we're trying to fund through your pledges. Now, I told you earlier that I was going to talk about sinkholes. And I'm going to talk about sinkholes in kind of an analogy way. You might say I'm going to add a little piece to the parable that we heard about earlier. There was the sandy foundation, and there was the rock-like foundation. But what I learned at the property appraiser's office is that all rock is not created equal. That there are certain kinds of rock, like limestone, If a home is built on limestone rock, and if the water gets to that stone, if the water that seeps down into the ground and gets to that stone where the house's foundation is built, if it is acidic, that the limestone will begin to dissolve and pockets of openings will appear in it, like caverns that you see in a cave. And eventually, if the pockets get big enough, the limestone, which was rock that you would think would be strong, would collapse, and that causes a sinkhole. And there's other kinds of stone, but I'm just going to use limestone for my example. And I got to thinking about my own sinkhole. I got to think about the acidic forces that were chipping away at my firm foundation, especially in the last couple months. 
And I'm going to share this with you because I think it's important for you to know that your pastors, both of us, we struggle with a lot of the same questions that you do. We pray over these green cards just like you do. And we have to make decisions about our giving and our lives. And I, find, I found myself a couple months ago in uh, early September, uh, we went up to Arlington National Cemetery and Bruce's funeral was there. And on the very same day, we had to fly back because Her Hurricane Irma was bearing down on Florida. At that point in time, it was between a Cat 4 and a Cat 5. I'm sitting on a plane thinking to myself, great, Pam, for the first time in your life, you've owned two pieces of property because you bought a condo because you're going to sell your house to be closer to the church and to downsize and to get rid of some of those possessions, right? So here I am. For the first time in my life, I own two houses. One is in a flood zone A and the other's in a flood zone B. <laughs> and, you know, I laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. I got to really thinking in that day and that time frame and the days that followed about how different my life is. I got to thinking, that all, you know, those things that Pastor Bob talked about last week that we worry about. I, got, I, I, I had fear. My gosh, I don't have Bruce for the rest of my life. I, I need to keep more of my money for myself. It's a little bit of acid in the water. Drip, 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 and some limestone dissolves. And then I got to worrying, thinking, well, you know, when I get old, my stepkids are kind of my age, and my sister's kind of my age, and I'm healthier than all of them. I'm going to be the last woman standing. There's not going to be any, anybody for me, so I need to keep some more for myself. Drip, drip, drip. Worry was affecting me. And then sometimes things happen in grief that we don't like at all, and you can't keep it from happening, even if you're a pastor. The loss that you feel starts to permeate everything that you do. And I start to ask myself questions. Well, you know, St. Paul doesn't have a ministry that deals directly with veterans. And that's what I want. That's my preference. And we do lots of other stuff, but we don't do that. So I'm not going to give what I was going to give. I'm going to set some of it aside to do something else that conforms to my preference. Because we don't do veterans ministry here. And the minute I started thinking things like that. My firm foundation, the foundation upon which my faith was built, started to crumble. I started to wonder if I was a fake pastor when I was up here. And I'm being as honest with you as I know how to be. Because we come to this church on Sunday and we sit in the pews and sometimes we go home and that's it. We might be unhappy about a decision that's been made. We might have had a change in our life that causes us fear. We might be sorry over a, a person who left the staff. And if our response is to withhold our offering, what we need to remember and what I had to remind myself tearfully was that I'm not giving my gift to a building, to a pastor, to lay leadership. I am giving my gift to God. And when we give our gifts to God through the local church, we have to demonstrate a certain level of trust, a certain level of trust that our leaders have right hearts, that our leaders decide things for the right reasons. 
When you have a congregation of 12 or 13 or 1400 people, we can't do every single ministry. We can't continue every ministry. Ministries have a life cycle, just like we do. They have seasons. We've started new things at St. Paul. Some things that you used to like doing are no longer done. They've been finished for a while. But the work that we need to do in the world goes on. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, don't skip over the parts about money. Don't skip over the part where Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Don't skip over the part where Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Folks, what I'm asking you to do is to build your house on a firm foundation. I want to show you a graphic picture of a house that has a firm foundation. Well, first of all, the one in the front doesn't have a firm foundation. <laughs> That's, there's two houses in that picture. They're both on sand. The first house, the first house was built on sand. The storm came, the foundation was walked away, washed away, and you can see the house. But right behind it, there's a house that's on the same beach. But it was constructed, it was constructed without limestone. It was constructed with pilings reaching down to the bedrock. And so I want to show you what that looks like. This is a construction photo about building foundations. That house that you see there, you see the layer right under the house, it's kind of tan, that's like sand. And right under that, there's some rock. It's, it's kind of the middle color brown. That's like limestone. It can dissolve. But there's pilings that sink down all the way into the dark brown, and those pilings reach down to the bedrock and provide the firm foundation. And those pillars in the life of those who not only hear Christ's word, but who do what he says we are to do, then their lives are built on pillars of love, tolerance, humility, trust, joyfulness, even joyfulness in times of grief, obedience, and last and certainly not least in this season, generosity. If you build your life on those things that Jesus taught and you will find every one of them addressed in the Sermon on the Mount, then when the storms of life come, when the unexpected grief takes you over, when you find out that you're sick and that maybe you're terminally sick, when you find out that a loved one is terminally ill, when you lose your job, when you lose your home, when an important relationship falls apart, if your home is built in that way, yes, you will still grieve. Yes, you will have sorrow. But your foundation won't collapse. That's what the parable of the wise and foolish builder teaches us. I know that I needed to make some adjustments in my attitude. And I have. I'm working on it. I'm not there yet. I've prayed over this card, and as I said, I'm going to go away for Thanksgiving. So I'm not going to be here with you next week when we dedicate these cards. So I'm going to take this card today, 
and I'm gonna put it in the offering plate because I will be with you in spirit next Sunday as you make your decisions and present your commitment cards to God. I hope you will pray about it. I have spent an awful lot of time in the last month wrestling with what I was gonna do and I'm gonna make some changes. There's some things I used to spend money on. I'm not gonna spend money on anymore. I'm not gonna be a member of a country club and not gonna go get my nails done every two weeks and all that stuff. I mean, there's things we do and that's not a criticism of anybody here who does those things. For me, I could let them go. I'm asking you to pray about your life, your giving and your foundation. My foundation was kind of like limestone. I'm trying to rebuild it on bedrock. You help me do that every week, and I'm grateful for that. When Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy, he told Timothy that when he was teaching the believers, he needed to teach them certain things. And this is what he said. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Wise builder or a foolish builder? I know which one I want to be. Which one do you want to be?